So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and welcome to this third episode of the podcast Inside the Mind of Champions. Today we're going to be exploring the identity crisis and coping with change. There's so much change around at the moment, largely driven by advances in technology and it's bringing disruptive business models, reshaping entire industries. We've got environmental considerations and changes and also those political changes that are going on way above our head that then filter down into our businesses and then into our own careers. So even mentioning the word change can sometimes make us feel defensive. So it's important that we understand why change can be so painful and understand the psychology of change. And that's what we'll be doing today. And as ever, I'll attempt to guide you through this topic uh, and I'll be introducing you to some world-class thinkers and performers from our digital interview library, The Performance Zone, and answering some of your questions as well to make this as personal and as practical as possible. So I know this is a huge subject and ranges from minor changes within our personal and private lives through to deeply traumatic life experiences of personal injury, terminal illness and bereavement. So it's important to state that I'm no expert in those areas and I'll just be focusing on some of those smaller common challenges which happen to us and affect us both at a personal and a professional level. So that'll be my focus for today. Now, many of you will have listened to the second episode, which was Thriving Under Pressure. And we heard in that session that we all have our own comfort zone, our own routines and habits that have become automatic and and we get used to them. But something, when it becomes novel or uncertain, it can set off this panic reaction, this fight and flight reaction for ourselves and for those around us, especially if the culture has been uncertain or volatile for a while. And this leads us into our first question, which comes from Sarah, who describes just that kind of environment. I work in a business with over 2,000 staff, and we keep hearing rumours that there's going to be more changes on the way. Everyone's getting a little bit nervous about it, and our bosses aren't saying anything when we ask them. So um, what can we do? So really interesting question there from Sarah and so many businesses, certainly around the UK and and around the world, will be going through these strategic shifts and changes and mergers and and changing in products that they take into market. So that has a knock on impact across the hundreds or in some case thousands of staff 
across the business. And, and when our senior leaders don't communicate some of those changes, then that can create a, a bit of a challenge. So the first insight that I'm going to select from our performance zone is from Ilaria Gregotti, and she's the former lead partner at KPMG for running many of their global HR transformation programs. And in this particular insight, she talks about the psychology of change for business. The human side of change is really important. And if we are moving, as we are already now, into a stage of constant change in businesses, then leaders have got to get in touch and tuned into how people react to change. In practical terms, this means um, understanding um, what drives people's behaviours in their organisation, understanding the foundations of how people tend to react to change so that they can catch those and adjust their styles um, in order to make the most of, of the opportunities that they have with the organization and so you know driving the change forward so I think in uh, tuning into the people dimension of the organization for leaders is really critical these days so an interesting insight there from somebody who's vastly experienced in seeing these transformation programs rolled out across businesses so I don't think you're alone Sarah in feeling that sometimes this uncertain position can make people feel vulnerable and it's it's interesting that we'll be going back to a session on leading change in a later episode of this podcast but for now we're going to focus on being the recipient of change and I think part of the challenge for leaders is that the mechanical elements of transformation a, a merger or a cost-cutting ex- exercise are more straightforward you can do them on a spreadsheet or you can do them in a, in a financial model But it's when we underestimate the human side of the change that the problems begin. And I think that's what Sarah is hinting at. So Ilaria there speaks about the emotions that are created, which come from maybe the board of executives. They might have been planning this change or the strategic shift for months and they know all about this change. So as they release the first lot of information, they're knowledgeable, they're experts in it. But for the staff down through the business, that's the first they've heard of it. So it could come as a real shock. And that's where we get this emotional reaction from the first news. And as change starts to roll out, we know that none of our plans roll out perfectly. It can get messy and can get delayed. But the problem is that if we don't keep the communication going, then you know, sometimes we get that vacuum of communication and that's where the fears and the rumours and the doubts start. And that starts to erode people's performance as they start to get stressed and, and, you know, unclear about what to do next. So the key message really is that even in times where there hasn't been any tangible progress, we still need to be communicating that things are on track. We haven't got an update, but we are updating you that there's no news yet and the plan is still rolling out. Otherwise, start to, people start to worry. And interestingly, linking back to the work in the 1960s of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, She developed this stages of change or this grieving process that people go through as change hits. So at first she talks about this element of shock and surprise as the event is, you know, hits people in the face, whether it's communication or something that people see for themselves. And then there's this element of denial where people start to look for evidence that this isn't true. This can't be the case. Why is this happening to us? 
And then that high energy denial starts to drop away into a, you know, a more frustrated feeling where people start to get angry then. And, and that drops off again into this pit of despair and depression as low mood and energy is sapped out of the individuals and teams across the business. And then there's that pivot starts to happen where people start to experiment and, and think about different solutions and maybe start to embrace and accept that this change isn't going to go away. I've got to do something here to pull myself out of this pit and, and climb back up to being competent. So this is where individuals and teams start to think about how can we make this work? And rather than wallowing in self-pity, we start to think that we've got to get back to our best. We've got to practice these new behaviours, learn these new skills, master these new approaches so that we can find a new way to be successful. So it's really interesting to think about the speed of that. Now, for some people, that could take a conversation. Uh, people could be shocked by the initial news, uh, start to have a rational conversation about the different elements, get a bit flat in the middle of it, but then actually start to see that there is benefit for the individual, for their team, and, and actually for the business. And that's what helps them to move forward. But for other people through this change cycle, that can take decades and they are stuck in that pit of low mood, low energy depression and trying to fight for what was there in the past. And that can be, you know, a real waste of time and energy. So one way for us to look at this is how quickly can we move through that cycle? That's where if change is going to be constantly around us throughout our careers, then rather than us staying in that pit, maybe the speed of our recovery is what becomes our competitive advantage. So let's start to look at some of the elements that can help us to do that. And this relates back to Sarah's question. So when there's uncertainty, this is all about a lack of control. And I think one of the key things that we can do here is look at the old sports psychology classic of controlling the controllable, Sarah. So you might want to get a pen and paper ready here to draw three circles. So in the centre of your page, if you draw a small circle, which has got the word control in it, on the outside of that, there's a bigger circle or what looks like a, a donut. Now we've got influence in that um, band. And then on the third circle, the biggest one that's outside all both of the other two, then we've got no control and no influence in that final outside circle. So this is where we start to think about where our time and energy has been placed. So, for example, we find that when people are fighting and resisting change, they're trying to keep things them safe for themselves. They're trying to keep things stable because they've proved their competence here. So when change comes, they feel a little bit insecure and start to vent about the the things that are completely out of their control and influence. And this is where all of our energy goes into this outside circle. So it could be things like, I don't agree with the strategy of the business or something to do with the exchange rate has changed our pricing or maybe our competitors have launched a product that's affecting us or maybe there's politics or Brexit, for example, with a current uh, example. So all of those things are very high level very intangible and they're out of our control and out of our influence. Yet, ironically, that's where we put most of our time and effort. So you'll be able to think about those things in your own particular context of change. Then we start to think about the middle band, which is where I can actually exert influence over something. So that might be the way I prepare my team. That might be the way I 
work with my peers across my network and start to influence their thinking. Or it might be that this is where I work with my customer group to try and keep them close to me and understand their mindset and choices. So those influential areas are, are a good place for us to put some of our energy. But where we should try and maximise our energy is in this area right at the centre, the bullseye of this model is where we can control those things. So that's my mindset, my energy, my planning, my mood, my communication and my work rate. Imagine coming to work every day, being focused 70% on those, 20% on the things you can influence and 10%, only 10% on those very high level external factors that are way out of your control or influence. That's very different to what we find when people are struggling with change, which is when 80% of their energy and emotions are focused on those things that are out of their control. So imagine that 70-20-10 principle giving you the power over what you control right in the moment. So have a think about that, Sarah, from your perspective and, and anyone else listening in a particular change episode. We've got to find out as much as we can from our bosses, from our senior leaders to get a realistic appraisal of the situation. Again, when we're in this vacuum where no communication is coming through, we tend to get you know, lots of negative comments, people with a negative mindset, rumours that are spread. And, and that can be like wildfire, really, across a business that's experiencing change or about to go through change. So we need a realistic view. What are the timelines? What can we expect? What is the head headcount reduction? All those things are, are going to be relevant for us. And then we need to reflect on those and make a proactive plan. Sometimes we can be too positive and think, well, I'll just hang in and everything will work out. Well, actually, we've seen that that unbridled optimism isn't always rewarded. So I would always advise that people you know, get themselves ready for the worst case scenario. Have you got your CV up to date? Have you looked at different job opportunities? Have you done that what if scenario planning for all the different eventualities for your particular change event? And then I think when you've started to pull together whatever internal realistic perspectives and appraisals you can get, you've started to look at the proactive plan that you can develop yourself around the what if scenarios then it's a good time to go and get an external view, maybe somebody objective, a friend or a mentor in a different industry, because they're not going to be as negative and as emotional as the people that you've perhaps been working with. They're going to give you a more rational view and it's going to be more focused on your game plan. So it sounds like for you, Sarah, change has been a regular uh, theme in your business. So your mindset and the way you play this is going to be absolutely key. And I would say that by shifting that mindset from the uncertainty about what could happen into having a game plan for yourself and then trying to control the controllables and, and use your influence wherever you can, that's going to be, it's going to feel like you're much more in control, you're much more energetic and you've got a game plan rather than feel like change is being done to you. Because the, there's the opposite scenario, which is where we slip down into that pit and we stay there and we become helpless. And, and that's really not what we want to do. So I'm just going to try and find another insight here. I met recently Campbell McPherson, who's an international business advisor and author of a best-selling book, The Change Catalyst. So it's a great manual for people about to lead change or go through change. So let me just find that in our Performance Zone library here on coping with change. 
So this insight is really about trying to avoid that challenge of, of becoming a helpless victim. Let's listen to Campbell. Yes, victimhood is an insidious and cold blanket that a lot of people put uh, cover themselves with when big change is, is done to them. And they move through the change curve and get down to the depression uh, uh, part. That's where victims lie. And it's insidious because not only are you then realising you're not to blame for the change that's happened, and that's not a bad thing, but suddenly you, uh, you, you, you aren't to blame for anything else in the future. So you become powerless. You become, it's not your fault that you haven't done anything about it. One interesting way to look at this was by Dr. Stephen Cartman back in the 60s, and he created this, this victim triangle. Actually, he called it the drama triangle, and it's used in sports. It's used with uh, psychologists and, and, and psychotherapists right around the world. And it's a triangle where you've got the three spots. So one is the victim. The other is the persecutor, and one, and the other one is the rescuer. So every victim finds a persecutor uh, and then inevitably finds a rescuer, or a rescuer will ride to the rescue of the victim. So the persecutor could be real or could be imagined, and the rescuer always tends to turn up. The rescuer is really interesting in that it's a person that looks as though they're trying to help the victim, but they're not. They're trying to keep the victim down as a victim. And we've all seen rescuers uh, before where they'll put their arm around, they'll make them a nice cup of, a cup, cup of tea and say, oh, you poor thing, you're being persecuted. But they keep them in victim mode, um, subconsciously keeping them in victim mode. The way out of that is for the victim to start to take control. So the victim to reframe the entire situation and the victim to realise that they're actually... Um, a creator. So rather than, than, than a victim of circumstance, they're a creator of opportunities. For them to do that, they need to see a persecutor, not as a persecutor, but as a challenger. Isn't this interesting? It's about, it's, it's, it's about standing back. It's about being, um, being objective with what's happening and, and not being part of it. So the persecutor is actually someone who is coming up with these challenges that I need to overcome. And as a creator, I can create solutions to those challenges. There is no place for a rescue. You need to get rid of your rescue and replace them with a coach, someone who will help you be a creator and help you see the challenges as being constructive and help you to move on. That's, that's the best way to escape a victim triangle, if you have one. Well, I'm sure we've all been in that place of victimhood. And, and for a period of time, I think it's probably quite a nice place to be. This perhaps wasn't our fault, uh, or certainly we don't think it was. The change has come and we feel sorry for ourselves. And it's quite nice to have a bit of sympathy and, and feel a bit downtrodden at times. But this is a classic reframing technique here. We're talking about shifting from that victim mindset, which is at the bottom of this triangle, and almost inverting that triangle over and becoming the CEO, the powerful creator that's going to do something different. So, you know, this is not to say that if we just have a positive mindset and see ourselves as a creator, it's not going to stop your company moving offices or, or making redundancies. That's not what winning looks like in this situation. But this is all about winning that mental battle, not to become a powerless, helpless victim where we just can't cope because that's just not an enjoyable place to be. It's not a, a useful place to be. And I think we've got to try and avoid that at all costs. So I think success here is about embracing the change 
and realizing that people can't take your spirit away. You will bounce back, you will prove yourself and you will find a way to be successful, even if that means playing a slightly different game. So I think acknowledging that there may be a time to feel sorry for yourself is fine, but I think it was one of the top golfers I was reading about almost allows himself 50 meters to berate himself for a poor shot off the tee but by the time he gets to that second tree on the left he's stopped cursing himself and he's thinking about the next shot and and switched off maybe that for us is an important trigger maybe we give ourselves okay over the weekend I'm really gonna you know ruminate and and sort of fester on this but actually, when I come back in on Monday, I'm going to be really positive and, and really take control of my own thinking, my own energy, my own mindset, my own communication. Because really, this change episode is a test of our career and our business or whatever the change might be. But it's ultimately a test of my character. And if I can show myself that I can transcend this change and move through it faster, then that's an incredible skill to develop through time. So this idea in Cartman's work about the persecutor, this could be your boss. This could be a selector if you're a sports star. Uh, This could be uh, a government change in legislation or a rival's done something to smash your product to pieces. Um, So they're easy people to hate. Um, And again, a lot of energy can come down onto us and we feel like we're being squashed as a result and we're feeling powerless at the bottom of this pyramid. And then, of course, the interesting shift again from Campbell's insight was this rescuer that we think is there putting a blanket around us and giving us a cup of tea and dragging us out of the quicksand and the swamp. And they're giving us positive reinforcement as they sit us on the side of the swamp and we sort of got our legs dangling in. But actually, those people get a lot out of being better than us, being one step ahead of us, being more competent than us, being more emotionally stable than us. And actually, they love rescuing. So if you love rescuing, you've got to keep having people to rescue. So they don't mind the fact that we are sliding back into the quicksand as they walk away and and we need their help again. And they'll come back just like before, just as positive, but never really giving us a sustainable solution for ourselves that we can learn to be more resilient so that ability to get over that is really really important and remember that a lot of these mindsets these positions happen under the surface so that's why they take such a long time to work through but actually if we can draw our awareness to the different people in that triangle in our lives see where our energy has been placed then that's going to be a really powerful way for us to move through it rather than just keep sitting at the bottom of that pit and that's where the mindset shift needs to come in so this ability to swing the triangle around the other way and instead of being this tiny weakling at the bottom we've become this all-conquering superhero CEO at the top who's creating things. I'm not sure we need to have some superhero hero music on in the background, but we can definitely get that sense of control even when change is being done to us. So by focusing on those controllable elements, we lose some of the anxiety that comes from worrying about the negative outcome. And we're actually making proactive steps to help us move forward. And, and again, push the rescuer away. We need a coach or a mentor, somebody who can challenge us. Maybe maybe we, we haven't been good enough in the past. Maybe we've been making mistakes in the past and that's contributed to the change. We need to hear that because 
that's going to give us some of the energy and firepower to get out of the swamp and, and move on. So have a think about that in your own world. Have a think about the empowerment triangle or, or you know, this um, creator triangle rather than the, the opposite, the victim triangle, because we've got to play that mind game. We've got to find a reason why I want to do this for myself. I've got to be committed to my own plan, my own CEO's creator plan, not everyone else's plan that's being done to me and making me feel small. And this is where I start to learn new skills. So there's that quest for mastery, which we know is a a really powerful motivator. We start to see that we've got more options and more autonomy. And that, again, is another really important motivator and and that purpose why is this so important why do i need to get up faster why is it important in my career to to get through this situation so this proactive solution focused mindset is definitely where we want to be if we're going to make sure that we can move through change faster as we go through our career so we've got another question here that uh, was emailed in to hello at sportingedge.com. So don't forget, that's the best place to send any email questions in for the future shows. I'd love to hear more from you. And I really like to tailor these sessions for the kind of challenges you're facing. So this next email comes through from Kabir um, and he says, I've recently lost my job. I'm surprised at how it's taken so much out of me. Why is this kind of change so painful? Well, first, Kabir, thanks so much for writing in. I'm really sorry to hear that you've had this force change on you in your career path. And it can be incredibly painful. Any of us that have experienced that will have empathy for you at the moment. So especially when we don't feel that it's our fault. So I can understand that this has been a painful process for you. And when I read your question, I was thinking back about the insights in our Performance Zone library. And, and one that really sprung to mind was um, one of the top Paralympic basketball players, Adi Adepitan from Team GB, talking about the pain he experienced on retiring from his playing career. So let me just search into the library and find that insight for you. Okay, here it is. Let's listen to Adi's point about the role that change plays on our identity in performance. Change, as as you've mentioned, for an athlete, you know, that transition of going from athlete to living in the everyday world, the workplace, but going into the workplace um, I, is probably one of the hardest changes I've ever had in my life. It was extremely difficult because when you've played um, in a world championship final, Paralympic finals, semi-finals, and you played in front of 20,000 people in the Paralympics and, and in the world championships, to find that buzz to find that adrenaline, that, that, that high, that sense of satisfaction that you get from that, to find that again is almost impossible. And you feel, once you've changed, that you'll never find that, those moments again. And you suddenly feel that your identity is being washed away. And I won't lie, there was a, there was a moment, and I can remember it now, sitting in my car, phoning up um, the friend of mine, in tears, saying, I don't know who I am. Nobody's going to care about me anymore. You know, I've stopped playing basketball. You know, what, what, what's going to happen with me? And it was, it was just really, really, really horrible. And I was scared and, and lonely. And I didn't know, I didn't know whether I was going to, like, get through it. And I, I, I just had 
all these visions of maybe I was going to have to travel abroad and, 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 and hide somewhere else in, uh, so nobody would see me. So really interesting hearing uh, Adi Adepitan there talking about that moment sitting in his car where he felt worthless. He felt like he'd only been um, accepted or respected because of his athletic identity and, and what he was as a sports star. And that's so sad as a young man. Now, we know, um, despite that challenge, that he's gone on to have an incredibly successful career in the media since that. So he's obviously been able to pull himself through that change. But one of the top sports psychologists many years ago talked about athletes are the only people who die twice. Uh, This idea that we die with our athletic identity when we're in our 20s or 30s, and then we have our natural passing away later in life. And it's quite a powerful thing to think about that Adi says as well, that almost part of us has died when that athletic identity falls away. So the problem for us all, actually, whether you're an elite sportsman or or business person or, or whatever, is that so much of who we are is taken up by what we do as a job. So much of our personal identity is based on our job, our, our role, our rank, our work. So we see ourselves as, you know, completely locked into to our profession. Uh, imagine going to a dinner party and meeting new people. The first question people might ask you is, oh, what's your name? But it's followed up incredibly quickly. Maybe you haven't even got your name out in time before the second one, which is what do you do? Everybody wants to know what you do. What's your rank? What's your status? Um, because that's the important thing. That's where your worth is. They're not bothered about, you know, your family or where you live or what you like to do and your hobbies and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's straight into what you do. So being unemployed can f- sometimes feel like a, a confession. But in truth, most of us will probably have between six and 12 jobs in our career. So it's actually a normal thing to be in this transitional period between roles. And actually, for you, Kabir, maybe this is an opportunity to think differently about it. We we very rarely, when we're in a very comfortable salaried position that, that's um, you know, every month it sort of ticks over and those months can can fade away and, and go into a bit of a blur. And before we know it, a decade has passed. But I think sometimes when these shock changes happen to us, yes, we crave the old stability that we had in the old routines, but it also gives us a great opportunity to think differently. And, and um, you know, necessity is a great innovator that we can start to think about different options. Maybe we want to work in a different career or maybe we want to have a complete shift. Maybe we want to take some time out and, and learn some new skills. So maybe there's an opportunity here with this shock news that you've had to actually think differently and, and redesign that idea of being a creator, being the CEO, redesigning your future from a new starting point. And the challenge for us is that we all want to be respected. We all want to be significant. And the only place we show our value or have our value measured is in our profession. If we think about it, it's our bonus, our salary, our title, our status. They're all related to a perceived value and they come as part of our identity. And it also provides comparison across our peer network and, and the rest of the working population. So our job plays that role. But by contrast, we don't get measured as a father, a friend, a brother, 
uh, somebody who works in a charity or, or whatever it might be, because that's just not quantifiable. But the only place we get it measured is in our work. So that's why we throw more and more of our identity into our work. We focus on it and we can almost get that obsession. And it can be dangerous where we think we are what we do. I am a footballer. I am a salesperson. I am a nurse. And when that stops, it's like part of us gets chopped out, gets chopped away. So this link between personal identity and change is a fundamental pressure point for us. And, you know, I often have an exercise with senior leaders in workshops or coaching sessions to think about this. So you might want to grab a pen if you're within range or or scribble it on the floor if you're on a dog walk in the mud. No one will notice. Um, So imagine you've got a circle on the page that you're going to you're going to draw a big circle and you need to think about how much of your whole identity. So that circle represents your whole identity. How much of it would you say is is taken up by your job? So imagine segments or pizza slices, hopefully not feeling hungry. That idea that a proportion of that circle is going to be taken up by how much you see yourself by your job. For a lot of people, when they've become sort of obsessed or or over-invested in that area, they put that segment at about 80% of the circle. And then the the 20% that remains is them as a, a friend, a father, a brother, you know, all these different other elements of our identity that, that we think we offer. But we've squeezed all that down because the only thing that really matters where we can compare ourselves and measure ourselves is through our work. So this can leave us both obsessed and vulnerable. And this is where the challenge comes in, because if the Grim Reaper comes along with a shift in company strategy and, and a shift in headcount, then there's only 20% of you left, you know, and this is why um, you know, elite sports stars. If I'm if I'm a footballer that's retired, you know, how do I cope if there's only 20% of me left? Like Addy says, who's going to love me now? I'm not playing. And I was very conscious of this when I retired from playing back in about 2008. And I, I tried to make this much more of a transition over two or three years with studies and setting up a business rather than a cliff edge. And I think for any athletes listening, You've always got so much more time in your sport than than you think you've got. And, and actually having that five-year transition is a much more sensible staircase to, to go down and climb up the other side into your new entrepreneurial business or, or post-playing career um, than it is just, you know, throwing everything of yourself into your sport and then it all of a sudden dropping away. And, and I was doing um, a session actually with some sports stars about transition and one of the players came up to me after the session and said oh when when do you think is a good time to start preparing for my second career I'm I'm 26 and I'm I'm doing brilliantly at the moment so it's a long way off for me and I said well usually about two years before you tear your Achilles or, or do your knee ligaments and he looked at me a little bit puzzled but of course we never know when this change is going to happen so having some kind of stability or insurance policy is, is a good thing because it helps you to feel more balanced and, and feel like you've got more perspective. And it also helps you to have um, a little bit more stability when these injuries or, or career pivot points come. This example of the circles is not about 
how much time you spend on things. It's who you see yourself as. And if you can start to broaden that perspective, it's really helpful. It really helps you to become more resilient. So the other way of looking at this is if you had your life savings in a bank account and your financial advisor was telling you to to invest it wisely, they would not tell you to put 80% of your money in the highest risk uh, hedge fund ever known to man. They would tell you to spread the risk. They would say, go for some government bonds, some slow growth funds, and then put a proportion in those you know, high risk areas. And that's what we've got to do for ourselves, whereas so many of us put all of our identity into our volatile jobs, which in some industries is, um, is changing all the time. I hope you're enjoying today's show. I just wanted to take a moment to introduce you to Sporting Edge's Members Club. It's an amazing opportunity to join our network of high performers from around the world. Over the last decade, we've created this pioneering library of video insights and performance strategies from the world's best thinkers and performers. But we've never really had a solution that gives you direct access to this whenever you need it. So when you become a member, you'll be able to access this incredible toolkit to boost your mindset and career on demand on any device. You'll hear from neuroscientists helping you to understand how your brain works. You'll be able to watch Olympians giving you inspirational stories and strategies to boost your resilience and rekindle your motivation. And you'll also hear from communication gurus as well as experts in business strategy and the future of the workplace. We'll introduce you to new experts every month and invite you to join exclusive online mastermind sessions with world-class coaches and performance experts. So here's how you can find out more. During times of uncertainty and pressure, your mindset will be the key to your success. Sporting Edge members have unlimited personal access to hundreds of video insights and performance strategies to accelerate their personal and professional success. This is your chance to get powerful weekly micro-lessons from the world's best thinkers and performers from elite sport. You'll be able to connect with a global network of entrepreneurs, coaches and senior executives on webinars, discussion forums and events. Become a Sporting Edge member and get access to the world's best coaches on demand. For more information, visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com. So if you're a coach, entrepreneur or executive looking for strategies to navigate the future with confidence, come and learn more about Sporting Edge Members Club at sportingedge.com forward slash membership. I look forward to welcoming you to our high performance network. So have a think now about a second circle and and what that might look like. So this is where maybe we slide down the emphasis we placed on our jobs and our identity, but this is a future ideal identity that we'd like to think about. And this is where we broaden out those sections of being a son or daughter, a mum or a dad, a brother or a sister, a friend, uh, a mentor to young people working in a charity or a part-time sports coach. Those are all equally important parts. Maybe we're in some kind of book club or social club or the local Harley-Davidson club, whatever it is, but those are parts of your identity. And the idea is that the more we see ourselves having that broadened portfolio of identities, then 
that's going to help us. So seeing value in the conversations we have with family, you know, thinking about the impact we have um, in our relationships, those things are really important rather than just the money we make in our job or whether we get promoted or not. So hopefully, Kabir, you can think about some of these elements as you're at this transition point. And I know for me, when I was batting in, in my own cricket and not scoring many runs, which happened quite a bit, I used to think about, right, I've not been useful in numbers, but let me be useful in one of my other roles, which was as a mentor to the young players. And if I spent you know, a couple of hours working with one of the youngsters or one of my fellow teammates, then that felt like I'd had a worthwhile day. So again, don't just see yourself that your identity is fully based on your job because it can leave us exposed and and vulnerable. So spread out that uh, portfolio just like we would do with our investments. Another key element here is to start to think about our own coping skills and looking back into our own experience. Sometimes when change hits us, we are stuck in that swamp in the moment. We can't really see our way out of it and we feel like we're worthless and our energy has been drained away. But actually, rather than looking at other people, we can look back into our own timelines and see that we've got evidence of change in the past. And again, into our performance zone library, it's 10 years since Amy Williams, the Winter Olympian, won her gold medal. But this is a a timeless clip, if you like, of her talking about um, injuries that she experienced during that period. And and I'm sure they've gone on to serve her well in her later life. But this idea of looking back into our timeline at setbacks and challenges we face, the change episodes we've had is a really, really important in reframing our mindset. I've had a lot of different little setbacks, some big, some small. For an athlete and for me, I found getting a bad injury was a massive one. It was actually a year and a half, just under two years, that I had a a knee operation before the Olympics. And all of a sudden, there I was on crutches, not being able to move, not being able to train. All the other girls were around me training really, really hard. And it's a really hard thing to cope with when you're still alongside them in the gym, but there you are, you can't even walk up and down the stairs. But yet you you do get through it. And, you know, with the help of all the goal setting and your coach being supportive, you get through it. And then all of a sudden you're back to being in full fitness. I then, um, the season before the Olympics, had another injury, a really bad crash on um, on a track. And straight away, you're like, I'm not going to get through it. Everyone else is going to move on. But you do, you just have to think backwards. Hang on, I've been through this before and I popped out the other end fine, just as strong. And that gives you the confidence to know that you can get through it. Um, You know, whether it's then same as in your work, that you, you change positions in a job or you change jobs completely and the dauntingness of it and that kind of scariness of how am I going to do this? And just going back a few steps, whether it's a year, two years, last month or, you know, longer, shorter, that you've had similar situations and you you need to use that as, as confidence to know that you can get through it. You did it before. There's a certain process of that and, you know, you'll get through it again and you'll probably be an even stronger person than you were the first time. And I, I've had that before and it's tough at the time, but... If you know you will pop out the other end, and you always do, it will always be for the better and for the stronger stronger person that you'll become. 
I love that clip from Amy because she's talking there about the thing that we can't see, which is the the growth, the the character that's built, the, the increased resilience that we get on the other side of this change episode. But because we can't predict that, certainly when we're stuck in that pit, the only thing we can do is look back into our timeline and find examples of it in the past. This is not positive thinking. This is your bank account of confidence that's been built over a period of time. And the other in, important insight from that clip is sometimes comparing yourself to the people around you doesn't help. For Amy's position there, she was on crutches and everyone else was flying around the gym lifting weights. So again, that can help you to beat yourself up. So it's about looking for your own path, trying to create your own solutions and moving forward from that point. And then again, another exercise, if you're with a pen and paper, is to think about this timeline exercise. So if you put your piece of paper in uh, landscape mode and just across, right across the centre of the page, draw a, a horizon line, if you like, a timeline across the middle. And that goes, everything above the middle line is this ecstatic high that we get from great performance. And then we've also got in the bottom half of the page, the excruciating lows. On the left-hand side is maybe us aged, I don't know, 8, 10. I can't remember a huge amount before then. And then however long your timeline goes up to your current age, maybe for some of you that's a lot shorter or longer than others. But for me, you know, I'll give you a, a quick overview of, of what that's like. So I remember age 11, failing my 11 plus, that was a massive setback that knocked me down into the bottom half of the page below the sort of horizon line. At 15, I channeled a lot of my energy into my cricket. I got picked for the England England captain at 15, signed pro at 16. Um, then there were my grandparents died and that was sort of a big change that dropped away. I then went off to boarding school and university and had changes there, which were challenges, but great experiences. For me as a professional cricketer, having six months in the UK playing a first class season and then going to New Zealand or Cape Town in South Africa for the winter months, which was their summer. That was a change for me, meeting new people, playing at new clubs, coaching in new schools, all of those different elements brought change. I then moved to Gloucestershire to play cricket and played for England after that. That was another massive change. Brett Lee broke my thumb and helped me to miss the World Cup. That was a massive change and setback. I thought my career was over. Moved to Leicester, had some 2020 success there. Got married with two children. And how big a change is that? You know, we sometimes think that the change in our role or the change in maybe not making a promotion or, or changing career path is is huge. But, you know, getting married and having children or whatever um, or family bereavements can be huge changes in our lives that give us those coping resources and, and give us another reference point that we often don't think about. And that change continues for me since retiring, setting up Sporting Edge and consulting in sport and in business and creating digital learning and now podcasts. So there's always something going on. So have a think about the highs and lows and the changes that have gone on through your life, because it's really important to think about that bank account that you've built up, those skills. Maybe some of those episodes you skip through change brilliantly. What was that? What was going on? Maybe at some other times that there was something that drew you back, pulled you in and, and you wallowed for longer. What was going on in your mind at that time? And again, that self-awareness 
is going to really help you as you move through change in the future. But I think one thing's for sure that we've all coped with change, you know, in the past. And it's important to understand that often youngsters change incredibly quickly and they don't have that handbrake that's on with the professional reputation and pride when you're 8, 10, 12 years old and we hear of children travelling around with their families' jobs and picking up three or four different languages before they're 10 years old. We're incredibly adaptable and uh, malleable in terms of the skills we can adopt. It's just we've got to take away that pride and maybe that identity idea is a, is a good way of thinking about that, that I can bolster out these other areas of my life. And it's not the change that's the problem. It's my um, sort of resistance to trying to stay in the past and, and not accelerate into these new ideas. It's my reaction to the change that's going to be absolutely critical to my transformation and how I can move that forward. So moving from this fearful, powerless state and, and actually embracing it, thinking of myself as the CEO, picking up all the pieces and rearranging them into a brilliant new solution so that I can adapt and overcome the changes as we move forward. So that's going to be a, a, a critical element. And I think another point when we're in this low ebb, if you like, is to remember what we're good at. We can feel pretty lousy. Uh, we can feel like we've been rejected. But actually, again, there are some strengths within us that can really help us during these times. So we're going to go to another gold medal Olympian here from our Performance Zone library. So this is Helen Richardson Walsh talking about the importance of reconnecting with your strengths. Everyone has something that they're really, really good at and what they can bring to the team. Um, and that's the thing that you need to deliver in that moment. So if you've got someone, if everyone in your team knows that they knows their job to the nth degree and knows that they can deliver that 100%, then you're in the best position to make the best of that opportunity that's arising in that moment. As a GB hockey team, we worked a lot on our super strengths. Um, and it was actually really helpful because some people didn't really necessarily know their, their worth and their value to the team. And until, we, until you actually were asked to, to think about it, okay, what, what do you actually specifically bring to, bring to this team? They didn't necessarily, it wasn't, you know, in their, in their mind, which is if you're part of a team, you don't know what you're bringing to the team. That's, that's, that's awful. And you're not then going to be able to get the best out of that person. And I remember we had some great discussions because peop some people didn't feel their, their worth. And actually, until we spoke about it as a group, and then the group said, no, actually, you do this. And when you do that, it means that we can do X, Y, and Z, or it allows other players to do X, Y, and Z, then you're able to get the best out of everybody. And I think um, that's, an, that's incredibly important. You know, teams don't function if only a handful of people are at their best. And in order to get the best out of teams, everybody needs to be um, getting the best out of themselves. So at times when we've lost our confidence and we're in that fog uh, around change or that, that quicksand that I mentioned earlier, it's really important to think about how we get our enjoyment and our energy back up because focusing on your strengths, those things that you find natural, that you can make a massive impact in, that almost give you energy will be really important. 
prioritizing time for things you enjoy. Uh, they will lift your mood. And when you've got a higher mood, that allows you to think more optimistically. And the optimism about the future will be an absolutely brilliant catalyst for you to be able to move forward. Setting those small goals, those small hourly wins, you know, we can feel like we're really stuck at that bottom of the change curve. So having small goals and saying, right, I'm going to do this in the next hour. I'm going to do this today. I'm going to achieve these three things this week. That can all start to give you the confidence and show that you can make a difference. And that's really important. And when we celebrate those small wins, we start to pick up the pace and we get traction and we develop more and more courage as we move forward. So I really hope that those insights are helping you to think about how you can navigate change. So we've got another question now. This is from Robin. This again came through to hello at sportingedge.com. So let's listen to what Robin's got to say with his challenge around change. Hi, Jeremy. It's Robin. I work in a fast growing business and I'm wondering how myself as a leader and the team itself can cope with the changes ahead. So interesting question there from Robin, and we've had a number of um, almost the, the, the darker side of change, but this is about some positive change. This is about a business that's growing really quickly. Um, almost you can imagine that there aren't enough hands on deck. It's got a, that chaotic energy about it where we've got more work than we've got uh, capability or resource, and that can create stress in the system. So it's about starting to think about how we communicate that because I think it's very easy during these periods of a deadline for example that everyone gets their head down and they just deliver against the plan so that's fine for shorter periods of time but if this just keeps on building then we need to make sure that we're talking about pressure because the teams that talk about pressure transcend it and and thrive in it there's absolutely no doubt about that so we need to create some time to discuss the plan so that it's not all reacting. We're actually being proactive in the way we look at it. So maybe uh, you probably do this already, but maybe there's a weekly meeting opportunity to assess the hotspots of what's coming up in the week ahead. So there are no shocks that can derail the team. Maybe you start to think about a structured habit of every month looking at the trends that are three to six months out, because again, it's that ability to be aware of what could be coming down the line and start to build in some of those coping resources and responses that are really important. Because if there is a big change coming in six to 12 months time, well, we will need different resources or we'll need different skills within our team. And that can't happen overnight. So we need to be recruiting or, or resourcing those things differently. So Maybe we're starting to think about put some of the standardized work being outsourced and, and some of the team that are knowledgeable and have been in the business about doing more of the specialist work, almost back to Helen Richardson Walsh's point about the super strengths there. And then also starting to think, Robin, about the spring cleaning, some of the habits, maybe as we grow as a business, we're still doing some of the things that used to deliver activity and used to uh, deliver impact, but actually they're not really uh, helping us with the future demands and the impact we need down the line. So starting to think about where we make most impact is, is really important. And I think your job as a leader is going to be through this time of tension and, and uh, pressure is selling the benefits of the new way of working that 
uh, ambition and that growth. And that's really a, a, an important thing because I think if we can all see that the changes that we're going through and the pressure that we're currently under and the emotional toll that change brings is going to benefit to us personally or to the business, then I think that's when it really starts to get exciting rather than overbearing. And the next insight from James Kerr is is brilliant for that. I was fascinated to meet James. He's the best-selling author of the book Legacy, which is all about the lessons we can learn from the All Blacks. James is a brilliant storyteller. And he talks here about how the All Blacks embrace the expectation. I mean, imagine playing for one of the best sporting teams in the world. There's so much pressure to deliver. But this is how those players reframe that pressure into embracing it. If we talk about embracing expectation and the courage that that takes, um, I think one of the, you know, the secrets, if you like, um, that the All Blacks have done so well is they realise that people play best when they're really enjoying it, you know, when they're celebrating it. And by bringing a sense of gratitude and a sense of the moment uh, and the, the, the privilege uh, that, it, that, it, that it is to kind of pull on a black jersey and run out there, that embracing of that expectations creates a space where people will express themselves, um, try new things, um, uh, and 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 keep pushing that kind of a, 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 you know intuitive competitive advantage, if you like. Um, so so you know, is courage the right word for it? Is it just kind of fronting up and putting on a brave face? I'm, I, I think it's more about realizing that you know there's a lovely phrase um, that that pressure is a privilege. You know that if you're not under pressure, it's 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 like riding a motorbike and the wind's not in your face. What's the point? You know these are the moments we live for. You know as competitive human beings in sport, you know those are the moments you live for, and it's a privilege to be part of that. Embrace that privilege. Walk towards the flame. You know, um, uh, and 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 kind of make the most of that opportunity because they don't come around that often. And that mindset isn't really about just being brave. It's actually genuinely about enjoying it. And that's an incredibly resourceful environment, personal environment to be in um, because you're relaxed, you're enjoying it, you're playing, and you're playful, um, you're connected in, in, in a different way and much better than sitting there completely nervous thinking, being risk averse and hoping I don't make a mistake. So courage would be sitting there going, I hope I don't make a mistake, I'm really brave to be here. I think the opposite is just embrace it and be grateful for the privilege and make the most of it. Again, this is brilliant from James talking about that shift in mindset where pressure is now a privilege. What a great phrase that is. So rather than being weakened by this change that's being forced on us, we need to embrace the opportunity like those all black players thinking about how they can be creative and artists and going and deliver something brilliant as they forge a new path for themselves and their team. So I don't know about you, but if your business leaders are thinking about disruption and change and strategic shifts going forward, they're going to really appreciate the fact that not only are you brilliant at your job, but you're also a chameleon that can adapt to lots of different situations. And I think that's the DNA of the high performer in the future. So I'm sure many of you will be listening to this podcast and you've been going through a really challenging time or you, you're about to go through a, a big change in your career or your life. So we need to be honest and respectful of the tough times without a doubt. We need to be kind to ourselves during those periods because change can be 
uh, really tough, as we heard earlier in the session. And we need to get support from people who can bolster us and support us during those those times. But we also need to start visualising the future and thinking about this exciting goal that really motivates us so that we've got the courage to step forward into that, to learn the new skills that we need. And that's really going to help us to get there. So in effect, this is not about your boss or some kind of government change or your competitors that are victimising you. It's actually about us taking ownership and showing character because that's what this opportunity is really testing us. So whether it's a a change in your personal life or your business, I really do hope you have a great strong mindset and that you can get back out there and, and get stuck in and embrace this opportunity. If you're finding this show useful, I'd, uh, I sometimes feel a bit blind recording it here in the office and then posting it out into the cloud. But please subscribe. And if you do give it a chance to give it a rating on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening to it, that'd be brilliant. Send me some feedback. Send me some questions uh, about future shows, about future challenges, because that's what I really want to do here. I've been so fortunate to work with and interview some of the best people in the world If you want to see some of those insights, they're on our website at sportingedge.com. But please do send me through any feedback or questions to LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram or hello at sportingedge.com is the best email address. So go and get stuck into that change episode. You're going to have 10 or 20 change episodes in your career. So make sure this is one of the best ones you attack with a positive mindset. And until next time, I wish you every success and I'll be soon taking you back inside the mind of champions again. So good luck and we'll see you soon.